Dear Instructional Designer, Episode 38. everybody and welcome back to Dear Instructional Designer, the show about the instructional design journey. I'm your host, Kristen Anthony. This season, we're digging into real projects and breaking them apart to see what makes them work. This episode, I've got a real treat, a cutting-edge tech project from my friend David Fusco. David is a professor at Penn State, and I met him through the Torrance Learning XAPI cohort last fall. Our group worked on looking at how to generate XAPI statements inside of everyday ID systems, like embedded video. For example, we used YouTube, the LMS, we looked at Moodle, and rapid e-learning tools like Storyline. But David has been working on taking things three steps further. He's interested in emerging technologies like the voice control tech in Amazon's Echo or Google's home devices. He's created a voice-activated quiz using Amazon's Alexa technology and is generating XAPI statements from it. I wanted to talk to him about the whys and hows of working on a cutting-edge project like this. Without further ado, let's break it down. All right, then, so let's get started. David, before we dig in this episode, tell us a little bit about your journey so far in instructional design and instructional tech. Great. And uh, thanks for having me today, Kristen. So I've been in higher education at four different institutions uh, for over 25 years. And most of that time, I've been in administrative roles. I've been a programmer. I've been uh, a CIO and vice president. And now I'm a professor at Penn State University in the College of Information Sciences and Technology. So I'm I'm a, a techie by trade. I'm a builder. You know, I love to code. I love to tinker and create solutions using technology. And in particular, I like to create ed tech solutions. And so I probably look at things a little bit differently than maybe your average faculty member. I tend to always think about solutions that, you know, I could either build myself or looking at it from a student's perspective, not necessarily trying to just conform to whatever they hand to me. So I'm always kind of looking for uh, other kinds of tools that I can build or, or use. I have three daughters, ages 21, 17, and 15, and they give me lots of honest feedback about what works and what doesn't. And so that's, that's really cool to have as well. Nice. Built-in testers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that that's really cool. I'm always glad to get all of these different perspectives. And I know that the, the higher ed ID community sometimes feels a little bit left out um, because so, so many things are focused on corporate. So it's always nice to get a higher ed perspective. So, I mean, as, as somebody who's, you know, a self-proclaimed techie in higher ed, and who, who's willing to sort of push the envelope? Do you do you find that you get pushback from you know the powers that be, or or from colleagues, or you know at, perhaps given given your particular department, you know, are people just really supportive of your pushing the envelope? Well, there, you, you kind of mentioned two things, and that's important. Well, there's three things. There's kind of the larger 
university itself, there's the department itself, and then there's my colleagues. Mm -hmm. The the larger university would obviously like you to conform to all of the solutions that they have, the LMS, the classroom tools, the technology tools, which I'm, I'm fine using. I use Canvas, which is our new learning management system. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of use that for what it is because I think it is important for students to have consistency across all the different courses they take. And I, and I teach both online and in resident courses. So mm-hmm. it's good for students to have that consistency, which I conform to. Because I'm in an IT college, the college itself and my colleagues are pretty ed tech friendly. You know, everybody kind of builds their own stuff. And so they're real, they're real, real welcoming to, to find out, you know, what we're using, you know, each other. So it's pretty welcoming in that regard. Awesome. Awesome. Well, David, this season on the show, we're focusing on the nitty gritty of ID and talking about specific processes for problem solving through sort of case studies. And I love that you, you'd already talked about solution building there. With you, obviously, we already have a specific project in mind. I wanted to pick your brain about this super cool XAPI Amazon Alexa quiz. But let's back up a little bit before we j- jump in there. What were the challenges you were trying to solve with this? What What's some context around this project? Well, in particular, so we're talking today about this, you know, the ability to have a voice activated quiz using the Amazon Echo and lots of people call it Alexa. I, I even call it Alexa too. Whoops. I, I just turned her on <laughs> sitting right here. She's like, what do you want? So I, I decided that, you know, for me, it's, it's all about student engagement. I'm always trying to figure out how can I meet students where they're at? And I, I want to, I always try to have solutions that really go to where they are. They don't necessarily think in terms of learning management systems of being where they're at. So I try to get them uh, as far as mobility, different apps, different kinds of things that they do. And in this particular case, I wanted to find something that was a little bit different and voice activated to help with really kind of a, a voice activated quiz for them to, to use. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as far as, you know, mobility and just sort of access I know this is still sort of cutting edge technology right now or emerging tech, um, if you prefer. But do, do you see this as being something that will be sort of more and more in students, in, you know, in their homes, in their pockets, things like that? So, you know, th- this being a an avenue for more mobility and more access in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're, we've already passed. The, the mobile, you know, the mobile app movement, you know, people, the people that are still talking about making students accessible with, with mobile apps, they're, they're already behind the curve, quite frankly. I mm-hmm. think we're past that. That's already an assumption. And so I think, honestly, if the Siri SDK, the Siri ability to write apps for, for those kinds of platforms, I might have gone that route, but they're, they're not as kind of developer friendly as what I found to be with the Amazon stack. Mm-hmm. So I think once those SDKs become more open for people to use, I definitely think voice activation is going to take off. Yeah, I think uh, Amazon said something like the first part of this year, they had uh, 400 or so new uh, Alexa apps that were in the queue to be to be processed. Awesome. Okay. So yeah, something that people are definitely going to and experimenting with. Yeah. And you can, um, you don't even have to use the Amazon necessarily product. You can build your own with a, with a pie or even some other do it yourself implementations. Amazon gives you, I don't want to go too techie too quick here, but Amazon gives you 
the, vo the, the code essentially to create your own version of what they have. And they're, then they're fine with giving you that access. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, even I was able to do something fairly quickly. I don't know that I did it well, but I was able to do something and understand what I was doing. So that was actually pretty cool. So, I mean, let's, let's, sort of dig in a little bit more to this as a solution. And I'm interested because you are in higher ed and there are accessibility accessibility guidelines and, and needs and requirements and uh, accessibility in this case, what I mean is people with disabilities or people without internet access or people without, you know, devices. So what sort of drew you to this as a solution and, and how how does this serve the needs of your students as a user? You know, that's a really good question. And honestly, it kind of came to me by way of my daughters. So two of them are in high school and my oldest daughter's at Penn State, but the two that are in high school, they, they're pretty heavy tech, as you can imagine, and they use Quizlet a lot mm -hmm. for, you know, and you probably, I'm sure you're familiar with Quizlet. So, you know, I, they, that's all visual as far as I know. Mm -hmm. And I was I was thinking through this and I thought, well, why don't we create a Quizlet version of this for a voice activated quiz? And so for a student who might be visually impaired could use something like this to do exactly the same thing that that Quizlet has. So from that perspective, th that was one of those things that I thought, well, that it's kind of a, a two way, you know, kind of idea such that one, we could have a voice activated Quizlet and two, we could help students that uh, with visually uh, impairments that could use this as well. Did you have any kind of criteria or constraints when you were thinking about, you know, let's let's create a voice activated solution for for, you know, quizzes and, and, and sort of testing yourself? Any constraints that you needed to work around? No, not necessarily from there, there weren't any constraints from time or money or any of those kinds of things. The only thing that I've learned with EdTech solutions is it's got to be easily used and, and it cannot be complicated. I think we see that way too often with ed tech solutions. They want to do all these, you know, really fancy things. And we've done that for 20 years. But what I found is, you know, something like a Quizlet or something like this is very simple to use. So the constraints really have to be something that very easy to use, very easily distributed, and then very easily modifiable for other people. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, well, uh, let's talk about voice as an interface, sort of that's, did you find that there was anything different about sort of designing for voice? That's a good question. I'd say not really. Well, let me say it this way. You know, so when you, when you develop an app or a solution, you, you really, you know, some people are really good at kind of visualizing the code in their head. And, and I can write most apps without doing too much planning ahead. And so for this particular project, I, I wanted to tie it into a learning record store with XAPI. And so from this pr particular perspective, I probably had to think more about it ahead of time mm. than I have with other apps where maybe just come from years of kind of programming traditional kind of applications. This one was a little different. Than, and then I had to think about, okay, well, what happens if a person doesn't say the answer correctly. I got to have different kinds of error correction than you would with, you know, different IO that you'd have with a standard app. And I, so I guess my answer would be, I had to think about it more ahead of time than I have with other apps recently. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, we know you chose Alexa, but uh, so I guess 
let's just start there. Why why Alexa or the Amazon interface over like Google Home? I think it primarily was. So I'll, I'll back up just real quickly. Yeah. So it kind of happened accidentally. My nephew bought one, and I was out at his place, and he's an IT person too. And you know, he was kind of showing me. I'm like, this is pretty cool. And then they went on sale right around. Uh, Black Friday. And I'm like, I think I'm going to get one of these. But before I just went and bought it, I did check out some of the others. And honestly, the thing that made the sell for me was the open SDK and mm-hmm. a lot of the the apps and the, the game-based apps that are coming out of this particular product. They just released here oh, about a month and a half ago or so, a product that lets you do a drag and drop gaming uh, interface so that, so that a person who's not a programmer can drag and drop basically a flowchart to map out what they want the game to interact like when, once a person activates it with Alexa. So the short answer is the, the tools that are available in the open, the open support and the open SDK kind of mentality that Amazon's taken on with this. Yeah, no, I can totally understand that. That's awesome. Um, were, were there any any and you've talked a little bit about, a little bit about this, but were there any specific challenges that you encountered when you were trying to to build or implement your quiz? And if so, how did you get over them? Well, one of them actually that you helped me with <laughs> was kind of the, the the challenges with some of the programming languages. Amazon uses a couple different languages for it's AWS Lambda functions. Mm -hmm. And one of them is Node.js. And it, because it, the way in which it processes the activities, it's, it's really, uh, it doesn't wait. I mean, it basically processes the code all at once, so to speak. And so I had to, to learn this thing that was called a, a callback function within this that I hadn't really used before. And so I basically had to stop the code from running to wait while I recorded my answers. Because what I did was I I recorded each of the answers that a person made and I I cut a record out to uh, a learning record store so that I could track basically what the person was doing. And so I hacked the code to be able to do that. And so there was just a little bit of learning curve on how Node works uh, versus some of the other languages I've used. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, so for, for those of you out here who may not be as techie, obviously this, this is an, an emerging tech. Um, as David talked about, they're, they are coming out with some ways for anybody to use it, but there, there is some coding involved here. But at the same time, it, it's sort of, it's interesting and it, it's not, it's not too difficult because there are a lot of templates out there already to help you build this sort of thing if you're interested in, in just trying. And and the learning record store that you used, David, was which one was it? <laughs> it was that's okay. It was uh, it, it was Learning Locker. That's it was right, old, Learning Locker. Yeah, it was an older version of it, but actually, I I built it on AWS and actually followed the video that you posted, which was done really well. So those of you who are listening, if you're interested in building your own version of this Learning Locker. Uh, Kristen has a really cool video on how to do that. So I I, I built that on. Everything I have is on Amazon. Mm-hmm. All my servers, all my code is all on AWS. And it's actually fairly inexpensive. I, I pay for it all myself. And it's something like anywhere between $15 and $20 a month. 
Awesome. And, and so I want to dig in a little bit to, I guess, the, the XAPI part of this. It seems sure. like it seems like XAPI is probably inevitable when trying to actually track what people were doing and something like this, because, it, you know, it's not part of any sort of L- LMS and you can't sort of scormify it. So but and you talked again a little bit about this, but when you were thinking about what is it that I want to track? What would be useful to me as an instructor to know? What were you thinking about? Yeah, so this is really important from an ID standpoint in that, again, going back to my comment earlier, you really want to think about this from a design, not a design interactability standpoint, but from the standpoint of, okay, let's think through all the actions that a person would do going through this app. And what I, what do I want to track? And so it's really important if you're going to get into XAPI to become familiar with kind of the construct of the verbs and the nouns. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, I think from a verb perspective, you want to think, okay, I'm going to track, you know, a person starts the quiz, a person answers a question, did they answer it correctly or not? You know, how many times, you know, did they, did they answer this kind of question? So you could wrap kind of metadata around different things within it. And so the thing that XAPI does is it, it kind of gives you that framework for the user behavior and activities. And so once you map it out, if you can think of, you know, getting yourself to a whiteboard and mapping out the whole app and then, you know, take maybe a different color pen and, and say, okay, at this part of the action, this is going to be a verb that's triggered via XAPI. And then once you're all done with the quiz, you kind of have this stream of, of data that's happened within that particular user activity. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, can be done with lots of different apps and solutions. Yeah, I mean that that was definitely something that I think was was really well well spoken of and and well well documented in in the XAPI learning cohort that I have been raving about on the show is is this need to with XAPI you do need to plan out what do you want to track? Um, and really think hard about those questions about the data that you would need and why you would need it and how to organize it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we've got this cool app. You've tested it out. You've built it. We know why you chose the, the solution that you chose. Let's talk a little bit about results. If you haven't actually been able to collect any sort of metrics yet, what what sort of metrics would you collect around, you know, a voice activated quiz? What sort of things would be measures of success? So one of the things that I think it's really important with this is kind of this next feature. There's two more features I want to add to this that I think really start adding some value. So right now I'm I'm really kind of tracking did they do it? What questions did they get right or wrong and that kind of stuff. And that's pretty standard LMS kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. What I want to track next is add some meta tags to each of the question and break them down into different kinds of data. So in other words, this question, I did a Star Wars quiz. So this kind of question talks about which episode the student answered. The next question is maybe about the characters or and the next one might be about maybe a scene or you know a theme or a plot. And then that way, a teacher can meta tag their questions and draw out kind of this contextual conclusions, maybe to say, okay, you know, Mary took this quiz and she's doing really well on characters, but she doesn't seem to do as well on the context of plots and themes. And so 
you know, that's one thing that I want to want to do next with this. And then the other thing I want to do is to be able to have this tie into an open set of question banks that way, because right now you have to edit the code of the quiz itself. Mm -hmm. I want to add it so that you can have like a Google spreadsheet that a teacher can put in the questions directly into that and dynamically change the content of the, the quiz questions without actually ever touching any code. So that's kind of two quick things. But the third thing is really tying this these metrics into other X API kind of uh, initiatives that I've, that I've I've built. You know, I have four or five kind of other X API apps, and it's really tying them all together to paint a picture of student progress. And again, uh, it's really important to think ahead about what metrics do you want to show as a result of kind of gluing all this data together? I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it did, it did a really good job. And I, I love that you talked about actually the, the meta tagging part, because I that sort of ties into the next question that I have for you is, you know, what, as, as a professor or just, you know, thinking about other educators, what sorts of things do you think this, this would be useful for, this type of quiz, this type of activity? How could it be used? Yeah, so I think it's I, I think we, we kind of bombard students with pretty typical kinds of, of question and answer kinds of things. And I think it, this is one way that we can have yet you know, we can have another solution that is they, they a student can kind of come back maybe at the end of their day and and fire up Alexa and have a have, kind of have a conversation with Alexa about the kinds of things that, you know, that the teacher would want you to use for that given day. And so a teacher could customize, you know, hey, we just talked about this concept today and we can do a really quick 30 second quiz to, to refresh and see what you know. And this, it's really low entry point for the student. They don't have to find their phone. They don't have to log in or fire up anything. They just, you know, ask, ask Alexa to start this quiz and you can be off and running really quickly. Nice. Okay. That that's yeah. I like that a lot because I you know sometimes I think with um, emerging tech, it it sort of seems like oh yeah cool cool thing that you did, but it's it's really good that to hear concrete ideas about how this could improve or enhance a learning experience. Yeah, we 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 too often have you know every everybody you know most most ed tech solutions want to want to put you in their own box. You know, I, I won't name any names, but you can pick a vendor of your choice. You know, they want you to go to their box and kind of watch all the videos or do all the activities within their box. Mm -hmm. And my theory is not that the box is bad, but we, we need to have a lot of other smaller boxes for students to be able to interact with. And I don't, this is just one of maybe 10 things that, you know, that you can give students uh, rather than just have, you know, always going to the LMS, we should have a whole host of optional, you know, and, you know, different solutions for them to use. Awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. Before we, before we go, before we wrap up, what would you say were some of the major takeaways for you from this project? What would be some things that other IDs, perhaps particularly ID newbies, could learn from this? I would say there are a lot of software development kits out there and are being developed. And I think they would be surprised at how many people are willing to share what they're doing and what their code is and, and how to use these things. 
it's way more open than I've ever seen it. And so, you know, find yourself a good partner or partners to code with and, you know, or learn to code yourself. And I wouldn't be afraid or intimidated if you, if you don't like to code. I mean, as you mentioned before, the, the quiz, there's a, there's a really good write up on kind of how to do your own Alexa quiz and, you know, you can do it really easily. I would also say that check out the X API framework. I think it's got a lot of future potential there. I think you're going to kind of see last year was people were trying to figure out what to do with it. And I think people have figured out, okay, this is, this is pretty cool. And so you're seeing lots of, of application developers and lots of uh, software vendors are starting to look at this as a way to be able to share content. You know, the other thing that a couple of friends of mine that are really looking at is this idea of of blockchain and, you know, what what are we going to do next with being able to to share our achievements? So I think XAPI is one piece of this, but mm. I would say that uh, blockchain is something else to to keep your eye open for. Awesome. Awesome. And, and you know, <laughs> I sort of feel like I'm cornering you, but this is something I talk about so much on the show is sort of all the competencies that go into instructional design now and sort of in the future. And so would you say that learning how to code would be a good skill for instructional designers to learn? And and if so, would you say that sort of across the board or maybe only for IDs in higher ed or IDs that want to experiment with, with future tech? What, what would be your advice on, you know, learning how to code versus, you know, maybe maybe getting some coding friends? That's a, you know, that's a really great question. I get that a lot. Now, I have to admit, I am a computer science undergrad, so obviously I'm a little slanted towards the answer. But so here's what I tell my students all the time. There's lots and lots of data out there, right? And getting access to the data or getting access to your results, somebody's going to have to do it, right? Somebody's going to have to write code to be able to get to that data to get to the results. And you have two choices. You either go and depend on somebody else to do it for you, or you spend some time, you learn how to code, and you become a lot more powerful in being able to do the stuff yourself. And so I think it's it's really a moment of empowerment. And, and so once you learn how to code, Quite frankly, you don't have to depend on other people and you can do things yourself. And so whenever you're in a position, really in, in any position, I don't care if you're a middle manager or an instructional designer, if you can learn how to code and not have to depend on other people to do things, I think that's a pretty awesome thing. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. I <laughs> I appreciate it. I agree 100% with your answer and and not to not to sort of denigrate people who choose not to learn how to code. But if you're thinking about it, if you're weighing it, think about David's answer and, you know, just check it out. Give it a try. Yeah, I'll also say that um, I'm also the same person that you would not want me designing the front end of of (laughs) any software. I am not a good front end person. So there are way more creative people out there than myself from making it look nice. So, you know, I, I, I'm also a believer in, you know, do what you're good at and, you know, but don't be afraid to try new things either. Yeah. Yeah. So Dave, last but not least, where can people catch up with you? So I'm on Twitter at uh, Dr. Dave Fusco. 
I also have website, drdayfusco.com. You can email me at work at uh, dfusco at ist.psu.edu. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really love talking with you today. And it was so cool of you to share this really emerging tech cutting edge project. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Kristen. I always really enjoy talking with you. I really enjoy talking with Dave about this project, and I particularly like the examples he was able to offer as to why you might want to dig into an emerging technology like voice. Sometimes the new tech kit on the block can seem like just one more thing, so it's useful to be able to have some concrete use cases where diving into something seems like a good idea. Right now, this particular tool may seem out of your range, but I'd encourage you to check it out as Amazon and others race to make this available to non-developers. There will be links to some write-ups on creating a quiz and a game with Alexa if you want to try it out. Some takeaways for me from this project were, first, that thinking about access is really important. As Dave mentioned, a lot of times, even with practice tools, we sort of expect people to come into the boxes we create. And while that may continue to be the case, at the very least, we can try to create more boxes, more access points for people, and remove the barriers. Secondly, I thought it was just an interesting experiment to think about designing for a non-visual interface. There's a lot of hype right now around VR and AR, as we discussed at the end of Season 2, and I'm sure that those will continue to be important new areas for us to explore. But we shouldn't forget about the equally impactful interfaces of voice and messaging. How can you make content accessible in terms of ease of use, even when people aren't seeing it? How might the content you create for voice or for text change? Lastly, I think this was a really great example that illustrates how the XAPI can be used. This voice quiz is in a whole other ecosystem, way outside of an organization's LMS. But it could be an incredibly useful, low-barrier tool, at least in the sense that a person doesn't have to log in, etc., for practice or review or whatever. As an ID and as an organization, there may still be things that you want to track when people use the things that you create or that others create outside of your normal boxes. The XAPI helps you to do that. Thanks so much for listening, folks. I'm hoping you're finding Season 3 useful so far. Let me know what you think by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. To learn more about how, you can visit DearInstructionalDesigner.com. And please do give a shout-out to Dave. He's on Twitter at DrDaveFusco. And I'm on Twitter at AntChris. Of course, you can also always reach me by email at Kristen at DearInstructionalDesigner.com. Thanks again for joining us and take care.